Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. This is a big week at Unapologetic Stories because today I am introducing a guest who has not only been an accomplished consultant and clinical counselor for over 30 years, helping people claim more power in their lives through her sessions and workshops across Europe and Canada. My guest today was also the recipient of a Women of Worth Leader of the Year Award, But perhaps most importantly, she is the writer and the holder of one of the most profound historical stories that I've ever held in my hands as an author brand coach. Her book, which originally debuted in German, uh, which was then called, this is the English translation, because I'm sure I will butcher the German translation, but the English translation is Identity from Holocaust to Hope. Identity from Holocaust to Hope. It is now published in English and available now and follows the story of her grandfather, then her father, who was a prisoner of a Nazi concentration camp. We're going to get into details about that later. And of course, then her own life here in Canada. I am so thrilled to bring her onto the podcast today. Welcome, welcome, Elki Babicki. Welcome, Elki. Elke, first, let me say this. Uh, Congratulations to you on your enormous success. This book, which I now know has been translated into English and the new title is slightly different actually. The English title is Identity from Holocaust to Home. From Holocaust to Home, that's the English version. So we're gonna talk about why that change as well. Um, But this book, which I've read twice now, is absolutely brilliant and it is also a bestseller. So Elke, I'd love for our listeners for you to first tell us just a little bit about this book. What can readers expect? Why did you write this story of your family? First of all, thank you so much, Anna, for having me on today. Thank you. I appreciate that. Welcome. So really, this book is a story about both sides of my family who came from totally different countries, cultures, and backgrounds. So on the one side, my mother's father, I grandfather, Johann, was a German Catholic, and he objected to Hitler's propaganda, which landed him in the first concentration camp that Hitler built, uh, called Dachau, and it was built for people who didn't agree with Hitler. 
My father, Alex, on the other hand, he was the youngest son from a, a wealthy and educated Jewish family in Poland. He was torn from his family at the young age of 15, and he survived five years in different concentration camps. Wow. So what both families really had in common was that they functioned in dangerous territory and that showed incredible resilience and an unshakable will and integrity. And while their lives were rem remarkable, they remained hidden. So as time has passed, I've come to see that telling my family's story is essential. It is important to explore how World War II affected several generations and also to discover well, what can we learn from these stories that's relevant today. Yeah, what can we learn from these stories? I mean, this is why I'm so glad to have you on this podcast, because we talk about stories here all the time and the power of stories, but not often do we come across historical stories and family stories with this many layers of not only ambition, but integrity, as you mentioned, and even trauma, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later as well. Um, but I just want to repeat a few of the things that you said, because I think they're so key that deciding to write this story was coming to see that telling the story is actually essential, not just to your family, but to history itself, and to explore the effect, you said, that World War II had on all of these generations, and of course, on your personal life story as well. So now we talked just very briefly about this difference between the word hope or the word home in the title of your book. And I deliberately put that out there because I wanted to address that change. Identity from Holocaust to home is the name of the English version of this book, the bestseller. And that change is very simple, maybe, but it is profound because it illustrates how we reclaim our own personal power and push through tremendous adrenaline or fear or trauma in order to find our ambition and return home, as you said, to ourselves and to our integrity, to arrive kind of on the other side of it all. Now, I would love for the listeners who are just meeting you for the first time today for you to give us a little insight for them into that theme and this theme that runs through your book, the powerful combination of adrenaline and ambition. Can you tell us the story that made you make a connection to ambition, first and foremost, as a mm -hmm. theme? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me try and do this for you. So, um, I, have to, I have to say that my dad... When he told these stories, he always had a lot of adrenaline flooding through his body. And he started shaking when he revisited those vivid pictures in his mind. And he told me some really poignant stories. And one of them I'll try and relate to you right now. And this was when he was hiding among the dead to escape from the last concentration camp he was in. 
So let mm -hmm. me tell you the story. So in the weeks leading up to the end of the war, my father had begun to observe that the behavior of the guards around him um, was changing. They were killing prisoners faster and faster, more furiously than ever. So without ever being told, he guessed that the war may be coming to an end and that the Nazis were wanting to do away with the evidence of the camp. So pumped full of adrenaline, his survival instinct kicked in full force and he decided he would hide among the dead before the guards were awake, hoping to stay undetected. So waiting till the coast was clear and everybody had left for the last train and then he would come out from the dead and leave the camp. That was his plan. Of course, this would have to be executed to perfection or he would get discovered and it would mean certain death. Of course. Yeah. So the adrenaline was helping him to, while he was lying under the dead, it was helping him to detect danger, to listen for sounds, to not smell these horrible smells to such a degree that he couldn't stay. And it was helping him to stay there until he was safe. And then he came out. So my dad had guessed right, his instinct and his ambition to stay alive coupled with the adrenaline had really saved him. Wow. So he, he so this ambition coupled with adrenaline um, made it such that he didn't have to go on this last train, which would have meant his death. Okay, so there was this, so he was in the Nazi concentration camp, the war is coming to mm -hmm. an end he's starting to feel or ascertain by conversations or things he's overhearing that the war is going to end and therefore this last train mm -hmm. ride is going to mean the end of any evidence left in that exactly. camp, meaning any living human bodies. So here he is. Oh my goodness. This is such a profound story. This is really the one that just hit me in the gut when I first read your book is here's your father at now, how old was he at this time? He was barely 20 barely 20 mm -hmm. years old and thinking mm -hmm. I better do something or this is it mm -hmm. for me. This is my last mm -hmm. moment. Wow. 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 So there's this, Oh, and okay. I love this Alki. I love this story. And I know it's, it's difficult for you to tell because it's a really difficult part of your family's history. Um, but here we mm -hmm. are, there is this adrenaline, as you mm -hmm. say, that is kicking in full steam. Uh, and then this ambition to stay alive, mm -hmm. I guess. It's just to stay alive. Yeah, talk to me more about that. Um, well, you know, adrenaline is an interesting thing. Um, it's always um, difficult to know how much adrenaline you actually need to succeed. Um, right. So one of the things is when we have too little adrenaline, it means that we are actually unmotivated. 
we may not prepare for a test or we may not be ready to act. Um, so the body needs adrenaline to act, but it tends to actually err on the side of overproduction, usually. Mm. And what it meant in my father's case, he had adrenaline to function on a daily basis after the war because he needed to rebuild, he needed to uh, survive, um, make a business happen. Nobody was there to support him. He didn't have family to support him. He thought he was going to be educated. He lost his chance to be educated with the most formative years, 15 to 20, and there was no family. So while he was an actually superb businessman, the adrenaline was helping him to function on a day-to-day -day basis, to survive, to, um, to do the right things that a stressful business requires. But this regular flow of fight-and-flight adrenaline also at certain times brought up old memories. And when these old memories came, a post-traumatic stress disorder happened and he couldn't go on trains or planes. He could only stay in fairly, you know, safe areas where he knew um, he, his business, he knew really well. He could drive, but he couldn't go on trains because a train transfer to various concentration camps with hundreds of people crammed into a cattle car, no room to sit, and only a pail for a toilet, flooded my father with such extreme amounts of adrenaline, making it impossible for him to get on a train without experiencing extreme fight or flight reactions. And that would mm. kill any ambition to travel. So as a result, he had to adapt. He stayed in Germany. He couldn't emigrate to Canada, which is what he really would have liked to do. Um, but instead of that, he focused on where he lived. He made the best. He really excelled in his business. And he honed in on his inner home of identity and integrity. Mm -hmm. So that was his strength, and that was where he could live. That was his home. Wow. That was his strength. That was his home, this inner. So just taking kind of the listeners back here through the story, we have your father. He decides to actually lay under dead bodies yes. in order to survive. When the final train leaves the camp, he escapes mm -hmm. he survives and here he is however after the war living with tremendous post-traumatic stress um, unable to get on a train unable to get on a plane unable to function outside of just the regular dailies and did he now your father I know he lived quite a long life after that but it was a struggle for him yes um I think yeah it was um the day-to-day Adrenaline actually helped him to be a real, you know, important businessman in town. 
And I think he really enjoyed that. So that was a struggle. What was a struggle wow. was anything that would extend beyond that, like traveling, you know, to, uh, of course, I left to Canada. And he would have loved to come here and see what his daughter was doing, but he wasn't able to do that. So, yeah. Uh, so that okay. was the stress, yeah. really. But functioning Gosh. every day, it's not that he loved his work. He actually didn't. He would have much preferred to be a lawyer or something, you know, much more um, creative. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess he lost the life he would have liked to live. And that was sad. And that definitely must have, you know, upset him, but he wouldn't allow that to upset him. He stayed with uh, being proud of what he was able to accomplish. Wow, that is just incredible. And I know, I mean, we talk about on this podcast a lot, we talk a lot about trauma. It is something that comes up about fear and how to kind of move through this fight or flight, as you say, move through fight or flight and figure out how to continue on. And this is one of probably the biggest examples I've ever heard of having to address the greatest fear possible, which is knowing ultimately that your life will end if you get on that train. So to see how that translates into your father's adult life after the war, not being able to get on a train. I mean, it makes perfect sense really from, I'm sure from the perspective of somebody who spent 30 years as a clinical counselor Mm -hmm. and and really working with people with trauma and fear, that makes sense that that trigger would just be too big for his mind to really overcome. Yes, yes, absolutely. It even made sense to me as a young person. I could understand, my mom could understand. We were supportive we we could see you know how this was possible for him he tried many times he tried to get on trains he tried you know one time he actually did make it um and that was one time and it was an interesting uh coincidence that happened at the time he actually discovered at that time that one of his family members survived. So his sister, closest in age, happened to survive the camp, whereas all other family members had been killed. And this discovery wow. he made 20 years after, after the war. That is absolutely unbelievable. And you and I have had an opportunity to, to talk about this story a little bit, and it's one that I find deeply magical. I love magic. I love coincidence. I never think anything ever happens truly by accident, I think, in our lives. I think there is a meaning for everything. But this one particularly about the train. So he never got on a train, really couldn't, except for one time, one time. And when he got on this train, he actually met somebody on the other side of that train Mm -hmm. ride who knew his sister and he didn't even realize that his sister was even alive. He didn't think he had a surviving family member until he got on that train and made that discovery, which is just Mm -hmm. like mind blowing, Mm -hmm. mind blowing. Now that sister lived in Canada, correct? Yeah. 
Tea. She lived in Montreal. Mm. And is that how you came to Canada or why you came to Canada? Because you discovered that you had family mm-hmm. here? Is that what brought you? Well, so for many years, my father actually had the dream and after he learned he was in Montreal to actually emigrate. And I was very excited about that, but it never happened because of his post-traumatic stress. So at some point, the family, the Montreal family, actually came to Straubing as my whole uh, hometown in Germany. And 27 years after he last saw her, they were reunited. So wow. <laughs> I met the whole family. And I guess a seed was planted that I could potentially come to Canada. But I certainly didn't see a road leading there. Uh, I was 12 years old at the time, and I thought, well, you know, potentially, but it certainly took um, another eight years before I actually uh, did it. And I came to Canada on my own um, at 20. Wow. Okay. This is so fascinating to me. And I know that this, we know that this theme runs through the book as well, this integrity, this finding your way home to, and that, that word home means so many things, but in the context of you sort of internationally traveling, moving from country to actual, a new country, finding a new place, home and family, but also finding this way home to yourself. I'm curious with all of the different parts of your family history, with all of your moves, were you always aware, um, maybe even as far back as being a little girl growing up, that you were different Uh from the rest of the community? Because you have these, even these kind of competing cultures in your home at that Mm -hmm. time. Did you always feel different and I'm just, I'm so curious to explore this integrity and finding your way home to yourself personally. Yeah, I actually knew I was different. Um, and in, in Germany, uh, I went to obviously in, in school in Germany, elementary school was really the time I became aware that I was too Jewish to be really German. I tried to be German, but there was this Jewish part, and I become aware of it. But I was also not part of the Jewish community because definitely I was considered too German to be Jewish. So wow. <laughs> now this, though, had an unexpected benefit because I really had to rely on my inner integrity. So that inner integrity became my pilot light, and it was my my inner home. Um, that's the home that's most dear to my heart, and it has nothing to do with a place or a community where I grew up. And whether I was in a synagogue or a church, I could be equally at home. And I even had little conversations with God saying, you know, you're one. Um, I'm sure it doesn't matter to you which um, community I join. I know I'm connected. So I I found this inner connection to spirituality. And I think 
that's really relevant today to me as I grow older, and especially as we look into the eye of a virus. And, you know, our times are much more uncertain. And with this uncertainty, we really need this inner strength. So when I can hone into that, um, it feels very stabilizing. Yeah, it feels very stabilizing. And what's striking me right now too, Alki, which is so interesting is, I mean, we talk a lot again on this podcast about pain and how pain can kind of be translated into purpose. And really you're offering this extra layer here, which is like, we have to dig deep enough in order to find Mm -hmm. that place. We have to be willing to be in the discomfort and the pain, potentially, if you want to call it that, in the discomfort, in the pain long enough to really discover, I guess, our human resiliency. Mm-hmm. I keep saying that word. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, is this, this ability to want to keep moving, mm-hmm. to want to do better. Now, what do you think, I'm curious, what do you think helped you build your inner strength. I mean, I imagine drawing from your history and even looking at things that your father had to overcome would have played a role in that. But I'm certain that, I mean, I know you well enough now to know that there is a real strong woman in there, but um, tell me, how did what do you think helped build your own personal inner strength? Well, I think it was many different things. You know, watching my father overcome and you know, have this resilience and to stick with uh, building a company. And my mother, of course, like he had this resilience as well. So watching them um, and then coming to Canada, I had to build yeah, a whole new identity. I didn't think my English was as bad as it was. Uh, I thought my English was good, but Coming here, you know, I didn't understand a lot of the fast conversations at first or the phrases people were using. So I had to really focus on, you know, getting uh, into university. So I had to really display a lot of tenacity. As a lot of immigrants do, they have to, you know, it's so difficult really to, to be tenacious when things are frustrating and difficult. I was reading um, even the application form to university, and it was like another language. It's so difficult, you know, when you don't have the language. So, uh, you know, as we do these things and uh, we build resilience, it's really actually very advantageous because, you know, you realize you can do this. I can be committed to this. I don't have to give up. So... um, you know, as we're going through these difficult times now, we have to show more resilience. And, you know, a lot of um, people in Canada never had to go through uh, those kinds of experiences. So it must be extremely difficult to really have to, you know, persist and be tenacious. Um, but in, in the long run, I think that is a really good thing to have is, is resilience. Um, so um, hopefully, you know, I, I think the human soul is remarkably resilient. Like, you know, if my dad could survive those kinds of tortures, um, 
you know, a human can adapt to almost anything. What an incredible benchmark for like, oh, I just want to put a big exclamation point on the end of that. If my dad could survive that, being able to carry that around truly in your life. I'm wondering, I kind of want to ask you, and this maybe it's like, I'm feeling like here I've got this wonderful therapist kind of on my show. I want to ask you, how might you, or what would you advise people who are out there maybe listening to this right now and thinking, if I can't dig deep enough, I can't seem to find my resilience. What might be just a really great strategy to help them have that foundation for themselves, that memory, that benchmark moment where they can really remember that they have this in mm-hmm. them? Mm-hmm. What would you advise mm-hmm. for somebody who's just struggling with the idea of finding their mm-hmm. own resiliency right now? Well, I think in general, people tend to overestimate danger and tend to underestimate their ability to handle a situation. I think that's true most of the time. So uh, it's important for people to remember a time when that's exactly what they did and they managed to get through a situation and they handled it. So the biggest fear really is not being able to handle something. So remember a situation that you handled and somehow you clog yourself through and somehow you managed and yes it didn't feel very good but you managed so reminding yourself of these kind of situations is 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 very helpful uh and also to say something like a positive affirmation like even though i'm nervous right now i'll be able to handle the situation that will occur. So even though I'm uncertain, I'm okay. Even though, even though um, I feel anxious about being uncertain how the outcome will be, I can handle it. Wow. Yeah, that's big. I just, I had a huge aha moment that I actually grabbed my pen and started writing when you said the biggest fear or our biggest fear is that we ourselves won't be able to handle the thing we're afraid of. That is the biggest fear. That's me. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So once we confront Mm -hmm. that fear and realize we're actually generally underestimating what we can handle, we can adjust that. We can adjust wow. that to, to realizing, hey, we're, we're pretty good. We're able to handle quite a bit. Yeah. And you know what? Listening to it, I just feel like coming from the daughter of a man who hid under a pile of dead bodies to escape a Nazi concentration camp. I believe you fully when you say that too. It feels very, very... It, it feels so absolutely true to the integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So finding your way back to this strength, this survivor in every yes, way. Exactly. Yeah. There is a survivor in, in all of us. There is no question a survivor in all mm-hmm. of us. Yeah. And that is one of the big themes I think that pulls through your book, which is so beautiful. I'm curious if you've ever thought about what, might have happened had you not changed course in your life and left Germany Mm -hmm. 
kind of thing your dad could never do is leave Germany, leave that kind of ground where all the fear was, was there built in and actually move across the world really to Canada. Have you ever thought about what might've happened had you stayed in Germany? Yeah. You know, if I had stayed in Germany, um, my life would have been very, very different. It would not have been nearly as challenging. I wouldn't have had to study English and worry about learning it well enough so I could pass university courses. Um, it would have been a life within my comfort zone. It would have been a much, much easier life. Um, most likely, I would have been bored. I wouldn't have challenged myself to the extent that I could have actually written this memoir. I probably wouldn't have gotten deep enough to write the memoir. It wouldn't have happened, you know, most likely. I wouldn't have explored so many things or studied psychology. Most likely I would have been in business or married my fiance at the time who was studying pharmacy. Um, so. That's probably what would have happened. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to me too. I mean, I love the story of there's just always there's this profound purpose that pulls through. It is probably no surprise that somebody who grew up with a father with post-traumatic stress became a psychologist mm -hmm. or studied psychology. Right. I mean, that is like, that feels like maybe this was the path you were meant to be on to really explore the deeper themes of humanity about the ways in which we can, and here you are sharing this with us, the ways that we can actually overcome fear and trauma and not just live, but actually hopefully thrive. Yes. Beyond. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, it feels like it was my mission uh, for sure. And definitely more like a vocation. Uh, and that, you know, I was able to live that out whereas my father certainly wasn't. He didn't, um, he couldn't have a vocation. He couldn't have the job he really wanted to have. But mm, I was fortunate yeah, and enough to be able to live it out. And I had to overcome a lot of challenges, but because of that, I'm able to, to also weave that in together with, um, you know, doing my master's and learning therapy, getting trained as a therapist. And I've always been empathetic and non-judgmental. So that really helps together with uh, my training um, to be able to do that and, and help people. Yeah. So I'm curious, is there, there's so many things I want to ask you here, but the one thing that keeps coming to mind is thinking about the world that we're currently in, thinking about the, the great degree of fear that we're all facing and uncertainty, but then tying this back to your theme again of like this integrity and something that you said to me, um, I am jumping all over the place here, but it's so important. I think for the listeners to know something you said to me early on um, about integrity really has stuck with me is that integrity is closer to what was your beautiful quote? I feel like it's, it needs to right. be. Out. Yeah, integrity is really closer to one's inner home, um, which, which has to do with, um, you know, an unshakable 
strength that actually looks towards legacy and knowing what we want to leave behind when we leave this earth. So it really has nothing to do with um, the home we live in or the external um, life we lead. Uh, it has much to, much to do with the internal life we lead, our inner home, as I was saying earlier. Um, and really, it behooves us to, to think about what kind of legacy do we want to leave? Because, you know, there is such a thing as a negative legacy. Look at Hitler. It's a negative legacy which has affected many generations. So legacy is really something we have to come to terms with all our lives. And really to change uh, the world, we have to start with ourselves and stick with integrity and make the choices that not only behoove us, but also others, you know, to, to create win-win situations. For, for others as much as possible and not come from greed and anger, but make these choices all throughout your life as much as you can. Oh, I love that so much. And I think it's actually such a beautiful way to end. I absolutely butchered the question I was going to ask you, but thank goodness you absolutely brought us home with that answer. It's exactly what I was getting at is what is it that we want to leave the listeners with knowing, but really here you are just dropping the wisdom for the world, which is let's create more win-win situations that your legacy is your responsibility. Well put. Beautiful. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us really quickly before I uh, let you go today, where can we find um, more information about you? Do you have a website? I do. Uh, so my website is lkbabiki at, uh, so it's lkbabiki.com. E-L-K, yep. do I have to spell it? <laughs> <laughs> I won't make I will put it in the show notes, but it's elkibabiki.com. Yeah. And then I know you also have another uh, where you're doing your book publishing right. through uh, historycollectives.com as well. History and then I think it's also, it's also available on Amazon. Definitely. Yeah. These days, you know, it's really good to get it through Amazon for Canadians, amazon.ca and um, the States, amazon.com. And historycollectives.com is the other website that the book uh, is it, you can read about the book amazing so whether or not you go to elkibabiki.com historycollectives.com or any kind of online site amazon included to find this book please go find this book it is called identity from holocaust to home that big word we're going to underline it home thank you again elki for being here Thank you so much, Anna, for having me on today. It was a pleasure. My pleasure, absolutely. Thank you for joining this edit of the Unapologetic Stories podcast. If you're ready to share your truth and rewrite your personal life story, connect with me at unapologeticstories.com for all the details on speaker training, 
storytelling, and strategizing your way through this one big life. If you've enjoyed listening, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listening app or Apple Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Unapologetic Anna for new speaker training start dates. Until next time, stay brave, stay unapologetic, and keep bringing in your truth. <laughs>